Tonight's lesson is maybe a little bit different in that it's, it's based on, well, I would call it a modern-day parable. Jesus taught in parables. Matthew chapter 13, there was an occasion where in verse 34 and 35, it says that Jesus did not open his mouth except for uh, in the form of parables. The disciples once came to him and asked, why don't you just talk to us plainly? Why is everything that you say couched in the context of a parable? The word parable means to, to lay along beside or to throw along beside. And, and what a parable basically is, and you've heard this definition, I'm sure, that it is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. And that's what Jesus would do. He would take common day events that you would just see walking down the road, and he would say, a sower went forth to sow. And then he would use that common thing that people were familiar with and then draw some spiritual lesson from it. Well, not all parables just happened in the first century. There are some that continue to happen, and there are things that happen in our lives that remind us of spiritual truths, and I want to share one of those with you tonight. To begin with, though, I want to set the stage and to remind you that we are on a journey. The passage that was just read from Hebrews chapter 11, uh, well, really beginning in verse 10, going through um, several chapters, about verse 17 or so, 16, talks about how Abraham desired a a home that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. He wanted to go home. The reason he acted in faith and did all those great things that he did was because he wanted to go to heaven and get out of this tent and live in a place that had foundations. He was aware of heaven. And then these others that he talks about in verse 13, they, they had not seen the prom, or they had not embraced the promises or received the promises, but they, they had seen them afar off. And because of that, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. This isn't our home. Our home is in heaven. We're just passing through here, so I'm not going to get too tied down with things here. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Peter says, Flee fleshly lust that war against your soul. But he says, as strangers and pilgrims, you're traveling. Don't get caught up in things that will bog you down. You, you travel and you have, to, you have to remember that you're a, a pilgrim, that this is not our home. The Bible tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. Have you ever heard the song that says, has this phrase in it? I'm homesick for a city to which I've never been. That's the story of the Christian. I've never been to heaven, but that's my home. And as we grow and as life happens to us, I think we develop more and more as we mature and age and life gets a little more difficult I think we get a little bit more and more homesick for heaven. So with that in mind, let me share this parable with you. It's been a few years now because our oldest daughter, Kelly, was 11, Michael was 7, and Matthew was 3. And Kim was uh, about to have Anne-Marie, 
and she was a few months off from her delivery date, and it had been some time since I had gone home to West Virginia, and Kim said, you know, take the kids to see Grandma and Granddad. I'll be okay here. You know, I I don't really want to make the trip, but you take the kids, and, and you make the trip. I naively said, okay, that's no big deal. That's just seven hours away, seven and a half hours away. So I decided I would head off with an 11-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 3-year-old and drive seven and a half hours to arrive at Chester, West Virginia, where my mom and dad live. As we embarked on that journey, there were events that transpired along the way that by the time I got to mom and dad's, I said, I've got to write this down. This will preach. (laughs) And uh, so I think that if you have children, you can relate to this, but there are, and the bottom line of this all is scripture. And I want to share some points with you as we journey home. We're all headed for heaven, hopefully. We're on this journey to heaven. And my journey to my home here on earth parallels, in some respects, to our journey to heaven. And I, I want to share some of those similarities. First of all, our journey home began with a great deal of in- excitement and anticipation. You see, we don't live close to our parents, and, and so... Whenever the kids got to see their grandmother and granddad and grandma and granddad, this was a big deal because we live seven and a half hours away and you only see each other once or twice a year. So I woke up early that morning and uh, I walked into the boys' bedroom and they, it was, it was still, it was like five o'clock in the morning because we wanted to get an early start and I flipped the lights on and I said, hey guys, today's, it's time to get up. We're going to grandma and granddad's house today. And usually you have to shake and, you know, pull and drag and and prod. That morning, as soon as I turned that light on and said that, those boys jumped up. The covers flew back and they were fully dressed with their tennis shoes on. (laughs) They went to bed that way. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't realize that until the, the covers came off and their two little boys were totally dressed, ready to go home. They went into the kitchen, and the, the things that happened, they were helping each other. My, my oldest daughter was pouring the cereal for Matthew. She would never pour the cereal for Matthew. There, there was pleasant conversation taking place. Everybody was excited. They helped me carry stuff to the car the best they could. All of this excitement and enjoyment, and just the attitude was, was wonderful as we began. And I, I should have known we were in for a trip because as we were leaving town, I had to stop by the ATM and get some money. And when I stopped, Matthew said, are we there yet? And I thought, oh boy, this is going to be long. But um, so we headed off. But here's the point. We started this journey with a great deal of excitement and anticipation of what, lied ahead, what lies ahead. And should it not be that way? Should we not be excited because we have a heavenly home at the end of our journey? 
We're not just going through life aimlessly. There is a purpose to our living. And every day that we live, we are a day closer to our destination of heaven. That's good news. And that's worth being excited. I don't understand all the ins and outs of heaven. And I understand the complexity of the spiritual realm. And and we won't be physical type beings in a spirit. But, But the idea of this heavenly realm where God says no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death and dying, all those things. We're going home. And that's worth getting excited over. Have you ever met somebody that when they obey the gospel, they're excited? And they should be. Well, in Acts chapter 8, you remember Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Bible says when he came up out of the water, when he came up out of the water, he went on his way rejoicing. He had reason to rejoice because he was going home. He was now headed for his heavenly home. And I've met people, and maybe it has applied to me from time to time. Maybe it's applied to you from time to time. But you forget your joy. Somewhere along the way, you lose that. And the excitement wanes. And we start living day to day and never thinking about our destination. Have you ever met people, and I've heard people ask this, I don't know how to motivate people. I don't know how to get people that were once on fire for God to get back into that mode. I mean, what do you do with people that are just kind of standing on the sidelines who have lost their joy and their excitement about this journey? Well, I know that we ask the question, but I also know that God gives us the answer. Revelation 2.5 gives us the answer. And if you want to put it in three R's as a way to remember, he said, remember, this is a church that has lost its first love, the church at Ephesus. He said, remember from whence you have fallen, repent, and do again or redo those first works. What he's saying is, do you remember how you used to feel? Do you remember when you were on fire for the Lord? Do you remember when you were sure of your salvation and how good you felt about that? And do you remember the day you were baptized and you know that your sins had been forgiven and if you died, you were heaven bound? No doubts. Do you remember how good that felt? Whatever it is that has robbed you of that feeling, John says, Jesus says, Repent of it and start doing those first things again. Now, don't let sin in your life rob you of that feeling because, you you know, what baptism does for the non-Christian, prayer does for the Christian in terms of forgiveness. I've heard people say, well, I feel guilty because I know I obeyed the gospel 30 years ago, but I've done a lot of sinning in 30 years. Even though I'm a child of God, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I'm not so sure about the destination of my journey now because I've, I've sinned quite a bit. Have you asked God to forgive you? Have you humbly repented and truly turned and said, I'm sorry? If you have, it's the same God who promises to forgive you when you pray that promises to forgive you or to forgive the alien sinner when he obeys the gospel, when he's baptized. We need to trust God more, maybe. We should live in anticipation of our heavenly home. We're on a journey. We're going home. And that journey should 
begin with a great deal of excitement. Let's not lose that excitement. Point number two that I realize on this journey, and that is that our journey sometimes uh, is difficult and, and dangerous even. We, uh, to go to Chester from Glasgow, Kentucky, we would go up to Cincinnati and then Columbus, Ohio, and then over to Wheeling and then up to Chester. And we got to Cincinnati. I don't know if you've ever driven to Cincinnati, but you have to cross the bridge, cross the Ohio River there. But there had been a wreck. And we got tied up in this traffic. We were like 10 miles in traffic that just crawled. It, it took forever. Now, there were exits that I could get off. We, every once in a while, would pass an exit ramp. But why would I get off an exit ramp if it didn't lead to home? My, my goal in life and my goal on that journey was not just to be able to travel 60 mile an hour. It was to go home. And so it wasn't the speed of which I was traveling. It was the direction of my journey that was important. And so we stayed through it and we, we slowed to a, a pace that was really aggravating and frustrating. But eventually we got past that. And things kind of resume to some degree of normalcy. Does that happen in life? As we're on our journey home, are there things, events that happen to us along the way that, that can make our, our journey difficult? You, you know it is. There are things that happen to us where we get just really slowed down. Sometimes to a pace where we just want to quit. It's not worth it. This is too frustrating. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, he compared our way to heaven as two roads. You can travel either road. We're, we're at the fork in that road. And he said, you can travel this broad way, like eight-lane highway, and you can travel that and go just as fast as you want if you want to go to destruction because that's where that road leads. But you can travel. There's no speed limit. Or you can get on this, he said, a narrow road that is restricted and it's difficult, but that road will eventually lead home. What are you going to pick? I hear people say all roads lead home. That's not true, folks. There is a road that leads home, but there is a broad road that leads to destruction. And Jesus said there will be more that choose that broad way than choose the narrow, difficult way. Let's make sure that as we journey home, that we don't quit. Don't give up on the journey. No matter how difficult it may get, do not quit. I shared this with the youth group a while back, but one of my favorite Olympic Characters is a guy by the name of Eric Mozambani. He's from Ecuador, uh, Guinea. He um, was to swim in the 100-meter freestyle in the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, Australia. The way he trained was he had people watch in the ocean for crocodiles, and he would swim in the ocean. If it rained enough to fill up a pool in front of a hotel, he would swim in that pool. That's the kind of training that he had wasn't very good. 
And so all these guys are in these, there are eight lanes in this pool and they all do their thing. And then another group of eight go, and then another group of eight go. And then it was finally his turn and, and he and two other men were the only ones left. And so they got up on the start block and they, well, the two guys on either side of them false started. They jumped in before they were supposed to. One more mistake like that and they're out of the race. Well, sure enough, they did it again. So now... It's just this man in the Olympic pool all by himself. No one else is swimming. Everybody is watching him. And he took off. And he got to the end of the 50 meters. And as he began to come back, he said later in an interview, I got tired. I had never, he he had never actually... Uh, swam, swum, what's the past tense there? He had never gone that far without resting, he said. Can you believe that? And so on the way back, you know, most guys go through and they just cut through the water and they're parallel. He was like dog paddling. His body was up and down. And at one point, guys went and got those lifesaver poles. They thought he might drown. One of the commentators said of him that he looked more like an energetic drowner than a swimmer. But he wouldn't quit. And he finally finished. And that whole stadium erupted in praise for him. The whole place stood up. He probably received a greater ovation than the guy that won the gold medal that year. And he said, how could I quit? with that kind of ovation that was going on. He said, I had to finish. Life hits us. That There are some people, you know people, that just go through life and they go through so graciously. Everything just seems to fall their way and it's easy for them. And then there may be your story. And life hasn't been easy. And it's been just one succession of tragedies after another and difficulties. And, and it's... It, It can wear you out. I'm just telling you, folks, do not quit. There's home at the end of the race. We're on a journey home. Don't almost get home and decide you just can't do it anymore. We don't live very long. Let's say we all get 100 years. Those are long lives if we make it that long. It won't be long really, till we're 100 years old, if we make it that long. For most of us, we only have half or less than half that amount of time left. Can we not hold on? Is the destination not worth just digging in your heels? And if you have to go the pace of a snail, then then go that pace. If you have to get on your knees and crawl, then crawl, but don't quit. What a tragedy to get so close to home and just decide, I can't do it anymore. And then you miss out on this destination. Our journey is sometimes difficult. Understand that. Here's a third thing I learned on this journey, and it's that there's a tendency to turn on each other along that journey. Those three children that were so loving and supportive at 5 o'clock in the morning 
weren't that way a few, a few hours later. In fact, I had already anticipated one. I thought I was doing pretty well because I, I had already decided, let's see, it's a seven hour, seven and a half hour trip, two, two and a half hours in, um, the front seat a piece. And that gets everybody, you know, it, everything's good. So sure enough, I had already told him, I said, two and a half hours, we switch seats. I'm not kidding. Two hours and 29 minutes later, Michael says, Kelly, get out of the front. It's my turn. (laughs) Kelly says, oh, no, it isn't. I have one more minute. They both knew the time. And then they began to argue their point. Well, Michael said, well, if you wait for that whole minute to get over, by the time you get back and I get up there, you've encroached on my time. And they're, they're having a fight about something like that. And then... So we got that settled. And then at a point, Matthew and Michael were in the back seat. And they're doing that touching each other thing. And, and so in the, the meanest voice I could muster, I turned around and I, I drew the line in the back seat. I said, listen, if either one of you cross that line, I'm telling you, I will stop this van and I will jerk both of you out and just wear you out. I made it sound mean. And so they behaved. But Michael fell asleep. And when he fell asleep, he began to drift. (laughs) Next thing I realized, I heard this smack sound and then wailing, crying. And I looked in the rearview mirror and Michael was crying and Matthew had his fist doubled up. Three-year-old. And he looked, he saw me in the rear view and we connected eyes and and he said, he crossed the line. (laughs) How, how can, how does that happen? We, We were doing fine at the beginning and just give us a couple hours in the car and they, they have turned on each other. I, I think I know exactly what happened, and I, I can identify it in the church as well. Doesn't that happen in the church? We obey the gospel of Christ. We're baptized into Jesus Christ. We become a part of the family of God, and as a family, we are traveling home. We're on our way home. And it doesn't take very long until we as a family begin to get into these little scuffles. And, and some people are cantankerous and hard to get along with. And, and we have to, to deal with things. Listen, the Bible warns us of that. Ephesians 4 and verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That's the way we're supposed to do it. Galatians 5 and verse 15, Paul said, You better beware. You know, if you bite and, and devour one another, pretty soon you're going to consume each other. You better beware of that. Do all things without murmuring and complaining or disputing, Paul told the Philippians. But I know what happened. They got bored. They didn't arrive at their destination as quickly as they thought they would, and they were bored just sitting in that van And so they found something to do, to occupy their time, picking on each other, 
that, that was their means of passing the time. And I'll say this, but I think I'm, I'm right. I don't want you to call anybody's name out, but do you know somebody that's cantankerous, hard to get along with, always looking for something wrong with something, fussy? You look at that person and look how hard and how much involved they are in the work of the church. Most of the time, those people will not be engaged in the Lord's work. They're bored. And they're going to find something to do. And what they have found is to pick on those that are trying to do something. Listen, we need to avoid that. We, we, if you're bored in the kingdom of God, then you need to think about what you're doing. And you need to find a job. If you have time to criticize and critique... Well, I, I just did a devotional the other day about the, a woman broke down in her car in the middle of a busy intersection... And this guy behind her is just mercilessly honking his horn at her. And finally, she just gets out of the car, walks back to his car and says, Listen, I'm having some car trouble and I'm doing my best to get the car started. I can't seem to get it started. If you could go try to start my car, I'd be more than happy to sit here and honk for you. (laughs) Well, that stopped the honking. But usually when somebody is is constantly... Where you see a problem at church, I guarantee you there are people at wit's end trying to figure out how to fix it. Be patient. Be kind. Long-suffering. Forgiving. Let's, let's not get into this bickering. I've seen too many churches destroyed, reputations of congregations destroyed, where they have no effectiveness in a community at all because they fuss and they fight with each other. And who needs that? My life's already hard enough. I don't want to add more of that to my, my existence. Our journey, it's, there's a tendency to turn on each other. Here's something else. On our journey, it's easy to get distracted. We stopped at Xenia, Ohio, um, along the way. Back in the 70s, there were like eight tornadoes that went through there and tore that place apart. But they have the world's largest McDonald's. I, this huge play place. And, and we went in there to get something to eat real quick. It's just a short stop. And when I turned around to get the, the boys' orders, all I saw were socks and shoes. They had just run out of their socks and shoes, and they were in that playground area. I had to gather up their stuff and uh, had to tell them, we, come on, we, we need to eat. This is not where we're headed. We're, we're going home. We just, this is quick. They were very easily distracted. But and then again, it, doesn't that happen? How many people do we know of who have obeyed the gospel and they start out gung-ho? They're, they're going home. They're headed for heaven. And they're not here anymore. What happened? They got distracted. Jesus tells in the parable of the, the, the sower in Matthew chapter 13 how that some seed is planted and, and it grows up. It's growing. But the thorns choke it out and it dies. And he said, you know what that's like? That's like the person who through, well, he allows the cares of this world to get in the way of going to heaven, and they die. 
Don't get distracted. You'll never win this race. You'll never finish this journey. Listen, there are all sorts of things in this world that are flashy and they sparkle and they catch our attention and they look really neat, but none of them are worth making a detour for. If you're going to miss heaven for whatever it is, folks, it's not worth it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, what shall it, or Matthew 16 and verse 26, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will man give in exchange for his soul? Demas, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I don't want that to be how you're known or how I'm known when we come to the end of our life. Yeah, he was once a faithful Christian. He was once on his way to heaven, but he gave up on it. On our journey home, it's easy to get distracted. And then finally, we'll end with this. When all said and done, the destination makes that journey worthwhile. Seven and a half hours later, we arrived in Chester, West Virginia, and we pulled up at the back of my parents' house. I don't know. Grandparents must sit and look out the window and wait, you know, for the vehicle. Because before we got stopped, the back door opens. My mom and dad come running down the steps and they grab up those kids and hug them and kissing all over them. And, and literally, here's what happened. We got to the, I had two hands full of luggage. We got to the back door and my mom and dad went in with the children and the door slammed in my face. I was left standing there just like that. They had what they wanted, but the destination makes the journey worthwhile. Life is hard, and it probably will get harder for all of us as we go along the way. Don't you long for heaven? I know our longing has a lot to do with our station in life. Uh, Paul or John on the island of Patmos is saying, Lord, come quickly. I'd say that too if I were exiled on the island of Patmos. But there are other people that maybe don't have that intense longing for heaven because they're still young and they haven't experienced so many things, good things, that God intends for them to enjoy in life. And I think a lot of that longing depends on where we are in life. But who doesn't and wouldn't want heaven? Revelation 21 and verse 4 describes it in a way that I don't understand it fully, but I know enough to say that's where I want to go for eternity. And I think that when I saw my mom and dad grab up my kids and hug and kiss them and make over them, it instilled within me the longing that God must have for his children We read passages like Matthew chapter 25 as we come, and I think we do an injustice to ourselves sometimes as we read because we read too too quickly. Well done. Do do you think when God, when we face him in the judgment, do you think God will just kind of look down over his glasses and see who we are and then say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, entering the joys prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Next. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, entering the joys of prayer for you from the foundation of the earth. Next. Do you think that's the way it's going to be? Just mechanical? This is what he's obligated to say? Or can you hear 
emotion in that statement. Well done. Man, I'm so proud of you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys. I see that as a grand reunion, a grand homecoming, and not some mechanical thing where we're ushered along like a bunch of cattle. We're going home. Don't miss out on the, the, that destination. As I, like I said, as I traveled home, I don't think I would have done it again had I known all the things that can happen. But when I was making that journey, I couldn't help but think how that journey parallels our heavenly journey. Folks, we're headed home. And we need to be excited about that. And we need to live and conduct ourselves in such a way along this journey that when we get to the end of the way, we will be found faithful. I don't know what life holds for you on this journey. I don't know if the way will be easy and graceful or if it will be painful and difficult for you. But I'll tell you this, if it's painful, endure it. Patiently endure it. If it's gracious, then revel in God's goodness. But whatever you do, do not quit. Let's finish this journey together. Let's go home. If you're not prepared, or if you're not if you've not begun your journey, or if you have and you've taken a detour or you've stopped along the way, make change. Begin tonight. You can begin that journey by being baptized into Christ and being added to his family. And as a family, you become an heir of heaven. You're going home. And if you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need to make things right and say, I want to get back on that trip, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.